what value does sex really even have? You know? When we're young, you know, in our youth, you know, coming up through puberty, up through our 20s, the youth phase, youth is generally what? Teenager to 29, right? From your teens to the age of 29 is generally youth. So in your youth, it's very consuming and it seems like it's all-encompassing and it's so defining and you need it. Sex. Heterosexual sex. Homosexual sex. Bisexual sex. Sex. We need sex. But if you take a moment, consider what's motivating, what's ruling you, I think a lot of people will find, and it was certainly the case for me, that a lot of it is ego, meaningless, self-serving, and utility. Utility is the more common sense healthy approach and it's so easy to get twisted up with that with media society societal norms you know it's not normal for men and women to be sleeping around with each other it's not normal for women and women to be sleeping around with each other it's not normal for men and men to be sleeping around with each other these things aren't normal but we're consumed with our egos and these base lusts and behaviors. And that's all they are. Lust and behaviors. And they're very similar. Heterosexual, homosexual. It's, it's all really the same spirit. Hello, everybody. Uh... <laughs> it's your old chuckle buddy. Anything James Ramcharan reporting live for duty on this magnificent June 18th in the year of our Lord 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. How you doing? Good to see you. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast, this is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. You know, I'm going to be in your will someday. Yeah, you're going to will me your estate upon your untimely death. That's how much you're going to love me. I'm going to make you love me. Was it like that Stevie Wonder song? Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross? Look out, baby. Look out, baby. I'm gonna make you love me. I don't have like a fucking Diana Ross or Stevie Wonder impersonation. Suffice to say, though, he's blind as a bat, right? But he was like really in sync with the music, right? And like, I think Diana Ross, is it Diana Ross? You know, you know how she, The Temptations, Diana Ross, right? I think so. Uh, some black old hen anyway. I think it was Diana Ross. She had like that style, like when she would sing, she would, 
you know, my love is like a river that flows in there. There'll always be like these little spoken interludes, you know? She'd be like, whatever I do my thing, it's for the love of my love. Love, child, born in poverty. You know, she'd do these little fucking spoken word things. So she was doing a duet with uh, Stevie Wonder, you know, blind as a bat, right? <laughs> Old Stevie, right? So they're doing this duet and like Steve, Stevie, blind as a bat, but he's on that rhythm, right? He's on that time. So that was the song. It was like, watch out, baby, watch out, baby. I'm gonna make you love me. I'm fucking up the melody, right? But anyways, there was like this little interlude, right? And like, you know, this is like circa 1972. Diana Ross, right? She's just creeping on a young Stevie Wonder, right? And she's just looking at him, right? He can't see her, obviously. She's just like looking at him, right? And she's just like, you know, there's a thing when two lovers' hearts come together. Then Stevie just busts out. I'm gonna make you love me. <laughs> he just cuts her right off, right? Starts belting out the tunes. You know? Anyway. We're going to be best friends forever. The show, is, the, the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, you're getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles. If you are digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know it truly is. Yeah. It's hot. I'm telling you, boy, when you get squawking under them lights, boy, it gets hot. <sighs> Fucking dripping. hell's going on? Ugh. Pardon moi, folks. Quick sip of coffee. Coffee break, boss. Don't mind me, boss. Uh, it's like a fucking greenhouse in my apartment right now. I just got out of the shower. Closed the windows. Turned off the AC. You know? It's a steamer. It's a Cleveland steamer. <laughs> so if you are new to the show, if you don't know, if you know, if you may or may not know, if you are a returning guest or a new guest to J.R. the P. I am an actor extraordinaire. Diploma in theater arts. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. Uh, what's going on with my career? Well, um, <clears throat> funny you should ask. Uh, you know, same old shit, you know. Um, I spoke on the last episode about how Many times people want the glitz and glam of um, a job without the true hard work and um, uh, skullduggery. I heard that word the other day. I knew the word before, but, you know, it's fresh in my mind, so I thought I'd throw it in. I don't know if it really suits my purposes here, but, you know, sometimes you get butt-fucked with the skullduggery of an uncaring, unfeeling world. And, you know, you're in a career where you're busting your ass. Nobody gives a damn, you know? You're just out to fucking sea, trying to fend for yourself, trying to cling to a life raft, you know? Seagulls pecking at you. 
circling you, you know, you're out to drift, clinging to your life raft, you know, lost at sea. It's not always easy fending for yourself in an industry. Whatever it does, whatever you do across the board, and it's no different as a thespian, actor, extraordinaire. A lot of times people want the glitz and glam without really knowing the skullduggery, butt-fucked, painstakingly arduous tax that an actor must hump through, trot through, climb through, bust and hump and bang through. You know, it's not always easy, folks. For example, you know, everybody wants to be that. Well, I'm not saying everybody wants to, who knows, but, you know, most people would love to be a successful, a successful billionaire. I'm a billionaire. I'm Jeff Bezos. I'm fake news. Okay. What you want to do is get plenty of sunlight, drink plenty of bleach. You're going to be okay. All right. Chinese flu, Kung Fu, you know. Everybody wants the glitz and glam of that billionaire lifestyle. Think how unbelievably complicated it must be to amass a fortune of a billion dollars and then to manage it. Managing your money. That's a thing a lot of people forget about. What it's like when you become multi millionaire, multi-billionaire, when you reach them statuses, it is a world of people trying to steal from you. The gardener, the property manager, the garage manager that manages your several luxury automobiles, you know, your ex-wife, your ex-ex-wife, your current wife, your children in school, snorting your money up their nose in college, um, your business partners, who knows what the fuck they do, you know what I mean? But they're on the payroll, you know? Your financial advisor, your publicist. It's like a network of motherfuckers trying to steal from you. Does that sound pleasant? Does that sound easy to deal with? Oh, yeah. And by the way, the government, have you heard of them? <laughs> taxes, taxes, taxes. It's not always easy to be the king of the castle. Pay the cost to be the boss. Pay the cost to be the boss. Look at me. What do you see? You see your bad mother. Ding, 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 bad mother. Wow. Popcorn. Much the same as an actor. Who the hell wants to be reading scripts all the live long day? You know? Busting my ass. Learning words like skullduggery. You know, fucking around with thesauruses and lexicons and encyclopedias up in my vocabulary, you know? I got to be up on the lingo, you know? What if I come up what if I come up across a script with a bunch of fucking words on it that I don't know? Well, I have to have somewhat of a brain to figure out what these words mean, you know? You know, so you know, I got to be somewhat educated formally or informally, aware of the lit of the literary climate, you know? 
reading scripts. And then there comes a point in your career when it's like, maybe you should write a script. You know, create your own opportunity. That's where the money is. That's where the influence, that's where the opportunity is in creating your own work. You know, so you got to bust your ass reading scripts, got to bust your ass writing scripts, auditioning, learning the craftsmanship of an actor, creating an emotional inner life of a character, you know, the physicality of a character. Now that might all just sound like horse feathers to the layman, but if you enjoy watching film or television, this is very important. The things I'm talking about here, the emotional inner life, the physicality of a character, that might sound kind of tenuous and, you know, arbitrary and, you know, precarious. But that's truly what defines good acting and bad acting. Name your favorite actor. Believe me, that's what they're striving for. That emotional inner life, that honesty in their character, and the physicality. And then also how to balance that with the text, bringing those words off the page. Some directors are of the uh, mindset that the text speaks for itself. Just read it as it's written. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece is white as snow. Perfect. Some directors want you to just read it as it's written. Don't put too many bells and whistles behind it, right? Don't get fucking cute. Just say the damn thing, would you? You know, you're slowing up the, you're gumming up the works, all right? Just spit the fucking line and let's get on with it. Some directors are like that. Some directors push you to find that emotional inner life, you know, whether it's from the inside out or the outside in, and to dig for that character work, that emotional inner life. There's a lot of shit going on that, you know, doesn't quite surface, you know, careful what you wish for, you know. Everybody wants to be on the cover of Rolling Stone and GQ magazine and, um, you know, I don't know, Dildo Weekly, you know, Doorknob Monthly. Everybody wants to be on the cover of these magazines and cheese and grin and walk a red carpet. But do they really want to bust their balls in the woodshed, you know, reading lines, doing all this boring, skullduggery, butt-fucked actor work? You know, type of shit that makes you sick to your stomach. You know? So I've been thinking on that lately. <clears throat> and in conjunction with, um, I'm working on my own project at the moment. As I mentioned on the last episode, um, I do audio plays. You can check them out on my channel, my YouTube channel. I'll post a link, you know? Various audio plays in the vein of radio theater, theater of the mind. So I'm currently working on a new project. These take time, consideration, craftsmanship, and uh, I'm psyched. It's going to be a good one. It's quite a well-known short story that I'm working on. Very heartfelt and very timely. In this world where 
We're dealing with a changing landscape politically, socially, you know, scientifically. COVID-19 coronavirus, <coughs> you know, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag in the 21st century. And, you know, spirituality, a belief in a higher power, for myself, God. This is a very timely short story that I'm working on. It's a famous work, and um, I'll be very happy to share it with y'all when I can. So that's kind of what's on my plate. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yeah. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Busting my hump. Really busting my chops. Been writing. Writing up a blue streak, folks. And again, as I alluded in the actor monologue, um, you know, got pay the cost to be the boss. Pay the cost to be the boss. And, um, yeah, I've been working hard doing some writing. And um, that's what's in front of me for now. Um, we're still very much moving into post-pandemic. So there's a lot that has changed in many industries. And for the comedian, um, getting in front of a crowd in a traditional sense, that's still going to take some time, work, and patience. But um, as I await the unfolding of this new frontier, I am steadily at work and many interesting things to come. Believe that. You know, I ain't asleep at the wheel, though I do look like a fucking moron for the most part. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes. Quick Coffee break, boss. Coffee break, boss. Don't mind me, boss. Mm. Mm. Ah. Yes. Pride Month. June is what is known, you know, I would say in the Western world, it's not like a universal thing, according to some of my research. But, you know, in the Western world, June is what is known as Pride Month. The celebration of LGBTQT lifestyle. So what is the definition of this? Well, this is a definition slash uh, article from wikipedia.org make sure to donate <laughs> yes so gay pride and again this is from wikipedia gay pride or lgbt pride is the promotion of the self affirmation dignity equality an increased visibility of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered, transgender LGBT people as a social group. Pride, as opposed to shame, 
Social stigma is the predominant outlook that bolsters most LGBT rights movements. Pride has lent its name to LGBT-themed organizations, institutes, foundations, book titles, periodicals, and cable TV stations, and the Pride Library. The Pride Library? What kind of books are in them library, you know? I don't know. Ranging from solemn to carnivalesque, <laughs> Pride events are typically held during LGBT Pride Month or some other period that commemorates a turning point in a country's LGBT history. For example, Moscow Pride in May for the anniversary for Russia's 1993 decriminalization of homosexuality. Some Pride events include LGBT Pride parades and marches, rallies, commemorations, community days, dance parties, and festivals. Yeah. Yes, so it's a celebration of um, the increased visibility of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered people. And it's to self-affirm and add dignity and equality to these groups that have been traditionally marginalized. Now, if you check on if you check out on my channel again under JR the Peace Snips, I'll post a link. Um, I did a video on um, you know some of my thoughts and opinions on gay culture and conversion therapy. It's a nice little um, account of some of my thoughts and beliefs. And, you know, I guess um, still some of, my some of my unanswered questions around an LGBT lifestyle, you know? So check out that link, you know. Um, basically, I see homosexuality and everything under that umbrella, the LGBT and also Q, meaning queer, um, banner. I see that all as a behavior. I don't see that as a personally defining aspect of a person. Now, I understand there have been many cases of violence and discrimination against people that identify that way. I see it as a behavior. I see it as an alternative lifestyle. Sexual behavior and nothing more. That's how I see it. And it's... If you check out my video that um, I linked that I linked up to you, I recall in my past I'd gone through some th some things, some things in my life. You know, um, I was very much ruled by um, women. You know, like like any young man myself, I was very needy of a woman's relationship. I wanted to be with the woman, and whether it be just a sexual encounter or a relationship, I was very needy for a woman. 
And when once I went through the things I had to go through and I and I had some time to meditate and reconnect with God, you know, and gain some sobriety. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And again, that's not really who I am. It's just what happened. I was turned away from God, my higher power. And, um, you know, I was just servant to my baser needs, so to speak. But once I reconnected with my higher power and got some sobriety, I started to see that, you know, I'm not quite an alcoholic. I mean, you can call me that if you want, but that's just what I became. That's the spirit that overtook me. I was turned away from God and my fellow man. And all these base sexual desires that I had that had nothing to do with family, that had nothing to do with legitimate intimacy with, you know, a wife. All that, it went away. And I considered myself a normal person. I'm still very much attracted to women. I still can see a woman and see, see, see the beauty in her and, you know, the sexuality. It's actually kind of disturbing. Sometimes when I see like, um, you know, like Instagram models or like video vixens popping and twerking and shaking, it's kind of a disturbing look, honestly. Like I see, yeah, you're a very shapely woman. You're a very attractive woman, but... You're just drenched in ego and narcissism and they're capitalists to the max. They're out for themselves. They're cunning, conniving. Like, they're they're in hell. I don't see that as something that I want. And I'm not bound by that sexual need to be with a woman because it's all ego. In my opinion, again, this is my opinion. I believe that Casual sex, meaningless sex outside of a marriage is basically 50% ego. It's 50% the own person's ego. My own ego in, um, you know, I want to be desirable. I want to feel desired by a sex partner. And I want to get mine while I can. And I'm consumed by my own needs and wants. And I want to be affirmed by the world and society. You know, it's all ego. You ever see people that like brag about their sexual encounters? Oh, you know, this girl keeps calling me. She just keeps calling, calling me. And oh, these women are all after me. Same thing with women, you know. Oh, these men, they're always after me. They, I mean, men just want me. All these guys are always after me. The gay community consumed with their sexual encounters. It's all ego, in my opinion. So 50% ego, 40% is trying to appease the other person's ego. Yes, yes, whatever you want, whatever, whatever you want. You're beautiful. I love you. I need you. What do you want me to tell you? Like, what will, what do I have to say to you to get you to fuck me? What do I have to say to you to get you to be with me? Yes, let me appease your ego. Let me stroke your ego. And then the last 10% of it is the actual sex act. (laughs) How long does that last? You know, five to 20 minutes. You know, how long does it really last when you're fucking casual fucking? What does it mean? It's meaningless. It's a, it's a 10, it's like a 10 minute act 
that consumes your mind. You know what I mean? So that's my breakdown of what sexual sexuality basically is. It's 50% ego, 40% trying to serve the other person's ego, and the last 10% is the physical act of sex, the, the feeling of sex. It's just ego outside of a marriage. So when I learned that about myself and I had that opinion about myself, I started to wonder, well, what's really going on in the gay community? What's going on with anybody, really? You know, they, they, they have these heavy definitions of what their sexuality means to them when, it, when it's really nothing. It's, you're just twisted up in your ego. I'm as normal as anybody, I would like to think. And where I was once consumed by sexual lust, I still have a sexual drive, but I'm not ruled by it. It's not a defining factor. I don't need it like I used to. Right? And when I look at it, I look at it, at it in a sense of utility. Utility. Wife and kids. That makes sense. Otherwise, what's the point? So... I do question that in general because any sexual consumption outside of the marriage of a man and wife, I mean, it's pretty self-serving and it's just sexual lust, is it, is it not? Anything. I'm talking about even just a heterosexual couple, casual dating between, you know, a man and a woman, you know, like. You know, these players out there or these, you know, man-eaters, these women out there that bouncing from relationship to relationship, it's meaningless. It's all ego. So anyway, that's my little diatribe. Do hit me up with your opinion. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You know, like, what, what value does sex really even have? You know, when we're young, you know, in our youth, you know, coming up through puberty, up through our 20s, the youth phase, youth is generally what? Teenager to 29, right? From your teens to the age of 29 is generally youth. So in your youth, it's very consuming and it seems like it's all-encompassing and it's so defining and you need it sex heterosexual sex homosexual sex bisexual sex sex we need sex but if you take a moment consider what's motivating what's ruling you i think a lot of people will find and it was certainly the case for me that a lot of it is ego, meaningless, self-serving, and utility. Utility is the more common sense, healthy approach. And it's so easy to get twisted up with that 
with media, society, societal norms. You know, it's not normal for men and women to be sleeping around with each other. It's not normal for women and women to be sleeping around with each other. It's not normal for men and men to be sleeping around with each other. These things aren't normal. But we're consumed with our egos and these base lusts and behaviors. And that's all they are. Lust and behaviors. And they're very similar. Heterosexual, homosexual, it's, it's all really the same spirit. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Like, what do you think about these behaviors? You know? So, you know, in celebration of Pride Month, um, what I relate to is, you know, hey, I also was consumed by my sexual passions at one point. I was like a mediocre lover. I, I could get a woman's interest pretty easily, but I could never really close the deal. I was a bit of a buffoon, drunken bum, you know. So I was pretty average in my lovemaking and, you know, wasn't shaking the earth, you know what I mean? But you know, I was caught up in it myself as well. And the parallel that I see between, um, <laughs> I guess, like, you know, the straight man and the homosexual man is just that need for sex, that ego. I need to get it. You know, male, whether you're a homosexual or you're a heterosexual, when you're turned away and you're consumed by your lusts, it's really the same perversion. And it's like, you need sex. <laughs> so that's like the parallel that I see between um, gay men and straight men. And <laughs> I got a couple funny stories, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, bull queers. I think that's a technical term, isn't it? Bull queer? <laughs> and bull queers, boy. They're scary. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I'm a comedian, and I remember I had some joke. I don't even really remember it, you know, due to COVID-19. <coughs> haven't really been on stage in a minute. But um, I remember, like, I, I had this one joke where it's like, something about, I was in a park, and, you know, beautiful sunny day, and I'm just sitting there enjoying the sunshine and the breeze, and and I'm smiling and I'm writing in my notebook, you know, how did the chicken cross the road? I don't know, to fuck another chicken. <laughs> I don't know, I'm writing some hack fucking jokes, right? Chilling out on a bench. All of a sudden, this bull queer just pops out from a bush. Big muscle bound fucking, fucking bull queer. Just smiling at me. Ugh. <sighs> Freddie Mercury, more like Freddie Mr. Universe. Holy moly, the size of this guy. <laughs> Getting taken over by a bull queer, you know. It's quite disturbing. I don't know if there's really a joke in there. I kind of forget where my point was with it, but you know, you got to watch out for them bull queers, boy. They'd be hanging out in bushes and shit. I mean, come on. Like, and he's skulking around with his shirt off. It was really intimidating. You know, I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> How did I know he was a bull queer? I don't know. Like I said, um, male perversion, whether it be heterosexual, homosexual, it's the same 
lustful base desire. You could tell when a, you know, like you know when someone's giving you the mustard, you know, giving you the eyes, the googly eyes, you know, he's just staring at me. Pumping his chest up, just staring at me. I was like, Easy, buddy. You know? Um, I remember one time uh, when I first moved to Toronto, I was living in uh, a youth shelter. Not a shelter, a hostel. You know, it's like a cheap hotel for youth travelers. So, you know, it was this hostel, hostel, like a traveler's hostel. I was living in this traveler's hostel. And there was this big black guy. He looked like uh, Samuel. Samuel L. Jackson! You know? You motherfuckers. <laughs> so, his name was Emmanuel. And, you know, he was always like, Yo, where are the bitches at? You want to go pick up some bitches? Yeah, you like bitches, don't you? Let's go, let's go get some bitches. So, like, we are like, yeah, cool, I don't know, whatever, cool, you know. He wanted to go drinking and partying. So, you know, a couple times he went out and had beers, you know. It was a bunch of people living in this hostel. They lived together. Then one, one, one morning, one morning, I'm sitting on my bunk bed, right? It was a bunch of bunk beds in the men's shelter. Or sorry, the youth shelter. It's a bunch of these bunk beds. So I'm sitting on my bunk bed. I'm reading the newspaper. In comes Emmanuel. He's like, how about them bitches last night, hey, player? I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what he was talking about, right? And he goes, he's looking at me, right? Are you up for life challenges? I was like, what? Life challenges, you know? Challenges to live. Challenges to laugh. Challenges to love. And he put his hand on my foot. I remember I just like folded my newspaper, climbed down from my bunk bed, walked the fuck out of the room. <laughs> and that's the similarity between that I see between a lot of homosexuals and straight men when they're in that kind of lustful state where it's nothing for like I remember being in that situation where it was nothing for me to just approach a woman at the bar Hey, baby, you want to do this? What? What's up? You're beautiful. Drunk, babbling on some nonsense at some woman, you know? Completely inappropriate. A lot of gay guys, that's just how they get down as well. Just what in the fuck made him think to say that to me? I don't know. I'm reading a fucking newspaper, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sitting on my bed. It's the middle of the day. I'm reading a fucking newspaper. You up for challenges to laugh? Challenges to live, challenges to love. Giving me a fucking foot massage. I'm like, I'm out of here. I just left the room. <laughs> and then I switched rooms that very night. Then later in the week, I run into a buddy of mine. He was like this Aussie dude. I think his name was Lucas. I knew him briefly from the youth shelter. Yeah, hey there, mate. Holy fuck, did you hear what happened to me in a manual? I was like, what happened? Well, fuck me and Emmanuel, we went out drinking the other night. And I come home and I go to take a piss in the pisser. And Emmanuel tried to move in to the bathroom ahead of me. So I was like, all right, mate, you gotta take a piss, you gotta take a piss. 
So I let him go. But then he goes, hey then, hey, you want to come and watch? The motherfucker asked me if I wanted to watch him piss. He's a real wanker. And I was like, yeah, I know. He tried to, I don't know. He tried to give me a foot massage or something. He asked me about like, do I know how to live and laugh and love? And then he like stroked my foot. Then Lucas goes, well, what the hell, mate? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you give me the heads up? The motherfucker tried to molest me. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, <sighs> strangeness. I remember another time I was working on a film, a short film. And um, again, downtown Toronto, like uh, college, college in Spadina in the, you know, unit U of T, University of Toronto, Chinatown area, you know? So, you know, I'm doing this little short film and it's being shot in a pub, you know, this little pub. So, you know, we wrap shooting. We wrap uh, my scenes, the scenes that I had, we wrap them, but there's more to be done and more to be shot. But uh, the plan was for the cast and crew to hang out and drink later that night at the pub, right? All right, cool. So, you know, I'm hanging out, waiting for the, you know, rest of the shoot to finish. I go upstairs to the bathroom and take a piss. So I'm standing at the urinal. In walks this fucking brute. And he's just like, hey, how's it going? You guys are, what are you guys doing? You shooting a film? And I'm like, why is this guy talking to me while I'm pissing? Like, this is strange. But then again, it's not that strange. And I don't want to be homophobic. And, you know, like, I didn't really know what the situation was. I'm like, my mind was like, why is this guy talking to me while I'm taking a piss? But then I was like, well... This is the sort of behavior that happens in a locker room. Like I played, you know, I played like low-level sports. I went to gym class. I mean, you know, sometimes I go, I go to the gym. You know, sometimes guys might, you know, hey, what's up, buddy? And like start talking to you while you're taking a piss. It's really no big deal. It's not like he was watching me piss. He was like on the other side of the room while I was pissing. And I was just like kind of over my shoulder. I'm just like, ah, uh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, we were shooting a film. Uh, you come here often? So why are you talking to me while I'm pissing? You know, I'm just like talking to him over my shoulder. He's like, oh, cool. You're, you're doing a film. That's cool. And he's just talking at me and shit. Uh, I didn't want to be a homophobe or anything. Make a big deal about it. Make a big stink about it. Really, really no big deal. Kind of odd. But also, you know, sort of harmless. He, it's not like he was watching me piss. Not like I was pissing on him. No big deal. So then I go out to the bar and I'm drinking and, you know, this is back in my drinking days, you know, I'm four plus years sober today, but, you know, I go out to the bar and I'm, you know, I'm having a few beers, having a few brews Then I start playing like Big Buck Hunter, you know, like that video game where you like shoot antelope and deers and bucks and, you know, broncos. So I'm like shooting these fucking deers and shit. And I'm like half in the bag, you know, I'm just, you know, drinking a beer. <laughs> You know, pow, pow, pow. Yeah. fucking bucks, fucking antelope. <laughs> you Simmy to Sam, the most rootinest, tootinest, shootinest villain in the whole wild west. You filthy varmint. I'm you Simmy to Sam. <laughs> you know, 
playing Big Buck Hunter. The guy waddles up to me again. He's just like, "Oh, well, hey, what's going on? You're, you're playing Big Buck Hunter? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you mind if I pay for you to play a couple rounds? I got a couple loonies. So he's like paying for me to play Big Buck Hunter. He's like putting more loonies into the into the video game and putting more tokens into the video game and he's chatting me up and you know I'm I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm like, oh yeah, so yeah. Come here often, do you? You like video games? Big Buck Hunter? No big fucking deal. And he was playing as well, you know, it was like a two player shoot 'em up arcade game. So later that night I'm doing the jitterbug. I'm cutting loose. I'm busting loose on the dance floor, you know, had a couple drinks in me. And I meet this sweet young ting, you know, real dime. Well, I don't know, maybe she was more like a six. I was half in the bag, you know what I mean? <coughs> Drunk as a skunk. I meet this very fetching young woman. We decide, let's get out of here, you know? So, you know, we get our coats, we get our shit. Calling a cab, we're standing out front. That guy walks up to me, the guy from the bathroom, the bathroom pisser, like the, the, the bathroom piss talker and the big buck hunter player, comes up to me and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, what does it look like I'm doing? <laughs> me and my date have another date. And he goes, well, wh- wh- what about us? What about what about us? What the fuck are you talking about? He goes, I thought we had a connection, you know, in the bathroom and in the video games, you know, like I thought you were gay. I was like, what? You mean the way you accosted me in the bathroom? Like I sobered up in a minute. I was like, what? What do you mean? What about us? The way you accosted me in the bathroom? You just walked up and started talking to me, buddy. And then you again, you followed me to the video game machine like. There ain't nothing between us, dude. I was just being polite. (laughs) That's what I relate to with the homosexual man is the desperation. (laughs) I've been that desperate too where it's just like I see things that aren't there. She loves me. She needs me. She wants me. What are you talking about? I thought we would be together forever. The desperation. It's just like in his mind, this whole relationship between us had occurred when it's like, Actually, no, you walked up to me in a bathroom. I was polite enough not to tell you to fuck off. Then you followed me out into the bar where I was playing video games. And then you started chatting me up and paying for my uh, my video game tokens. And uh, it was just a friendly banter that I accepted out of civility. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. A desperation. And, um, you know, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of times that would happen where it's like the assumptions, the assumptions that if you don't, if you're not like, well, that's the, that's the, the strange part because a lot of times, obviously, a hate crime is a hate crime. Like, to hate to hate on anybody and beat on anybody is just a negative thing. To, to throw expletives and, 
to judge a person and to condemn a person and to just with your words, let alone physically assault somebody, obviously is a horrible thing. And it also raises the question, though, because sometimes when you're when you don't portray a sense of disgust, I notice, as I say, the parallel between like as a straight man and towards the gay community. You know, if you like, you know, if a gay guy smiling at you and you go and you smile back out of civility, all of a sudden, oh, that guy wants me. And they just make these assumptions. So that's my main point. It's when assumptions get made, you know, uh, that's the parallel I see a lot. The assumption that I should see things the way you see things. You should see things the way I see things. What is said by this is what I mean. And that's what you hear. And what you say is what I hear. And I judge you for what I hear. These assumptions. Um, As I mentioned, um, you know, uh, I'm a recovering man. I'm four plus years, four plus years sober. And a few times I went to... um, well, no, I, I used to attend a lot of uh, sobriety meetings, and I still believe that they're a great tool for anybody seeking recovery, 12-step recovery meetings. So um, I used to go to a few of these, and I remember like, um, oh man, you would just hear some of the most crazy shit, you know, like, you, 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 as I mentioned, the desperation that people that are turned away from God, turned away from their fellow man, the desperation that these people fall to. Um, You see a lot of women desperate. You can tell they're looking for a man. They're talking all sorts of stupid shit. You know, babbling on about their lives or whatever. I don't want to call it stupid, but they're presenting themselves in a way in which they're an easy target. Then you see gay men. And they use meetings the very much the same way, where it's like, I remember this one guy, he was sharing. Sometimes you're, well, most meetings you can share. You get to share on your issues pertaining to your alcoholism. And I remember this one guy, it was just like, I'm sorry, everyone. I just have to get this off my chest right now. I'm just going through a really hard time. And... It's just the loneliness of it all. And sometimes I just looking for a big, burly, hairy chest to lay my head on at night. I just want a big, hairy chest to curl up on and lay my head on. Putting out the Robin signal, if you know what I'm saying. Putting out, putting out the bat signal at these fucking recovery meetings. It's just like desperate and it's like it's not that you're lonely it's not that you're desperate it's not that you're homosexual it's not that you're heterosexual it's nothing you're swept up in your ego you're turned away from your fellow man you can't stand the silence of your own company and you need to go back to god or um you like you said go curl up on a hairy man's chest but whatever right (laughs) so the desperation and and neediness of the 
I've seen uh, straight men do it too. I remember this one guy, he gets up and he's making a speech, you know, and I was fault like, like I said, you know, a lot of times in meetings you share and a lot of times there's a keynote speaker, a person who will go up and do like a 20 minute share to, you know, to tell his or her, his or her truth to the group and to kick off some discussion on sobriety, right? A lead share, a speaker. So we had this speaker one time, it was the straight guy, and he's up there talking about, you know, I was always bouncing from woman to woman and uh, just, I, I was a cheater and I was this and I was that. And, you know, I, I screwed up my life. I, I burnt down my business. I burnt down my family, my friends. And, you know, I was, you know, who can't relate to that? And then it's a story that you're listening to. You're listening to. Yeah. And then he perks up and he goes, oh, yeah. And by the way, um, I, uh, I finally um, found some closure on my sexual inventory. I was the kind of guy that like I, I was always having sex. A lot of women came to me for sex and I was told I was good in bed. And, you know, just I just I don't know. Ever since I can remember, I was just always getting laid and did it. Starts weaving this story about his sexual prowess. Obviously trying to rope in some straggler, you know, some, you know, some stray sheep, you know, advertising, putting out the bat signal and just that desperation. So the desperations, the assumptions that go on uh, with the casual sexual artist, the person out for casual sex, all the assumptions and desperation that comes with it. Um, so I remember one time I was at a recovery meeting and, um, you know, from alcohol and there's literature that you have to read. You know, there's literature that we read that affirms some of our beliefs. So I'm reading this literature and it's at this meeting that, as far as I knew, it was just a normal meeting. You know what I mean? But it was in the um, tail end, no pun intended. It was in the tail end of the gay district in Toronto, Canada, Church Street. So I was attending this meeting. It was at the tail end, no pun intended, the tail end of the gay district. It was like church and... uh, Queen and Church, Queen and Church Street, if you're familiar with Toronto, Canada. So, you know, it's in the tail end of the gay district. Um, It's very much a melting pot. All sorts of people, all sorts of everybody. It's just like a very culturally diverse area. Everybody, everybody, right? So it wasn't like this particularly gay meeting or anything. And at least that's what I thought. You know, I remember one time that I went there and some guy was like talking to me all normal and stuff. And then he's just like, oh, you like baseball? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. No. Oh, yeah. Do you like hockey? No. Do you like music? Yeah. Cool. Me too. There's this dance uh, that's going on next week. I don't know. Have you ever been to a dance, Jonathan? You want to go with me to a dance? I was like, what? Uh, 
Uh, no, I'm cool. I'm just here to be sober and, uh, you know, sober stuff. He's like, oh, okay, well, let me know if you want to go to that dance. I thought it was a little odd. But then later, I'm like, that motherfucker asked me out. Because check this out. I was at that same meeting. And like I said, there's literature that we have to read. And I'm, re- and I'm reading the literature, you know, at this particular meeting. And I get up and I'm blah, 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 blah. I'm reading that I made a mistake. And I'm like, ah, blah, blah, blah. oh, ah, fuck me. <laughs> all the little, all the little, um, you know, queens and, you know, you know, all the little fucking girls and hens, they're just giggling. <laughs> Jonathan said, fuck me. <laughs> Making a big kerfuffle about it, you know, it's like, well, you know, it really wasn't that funny. Like, you know, making a big deal about it. And then another member of the group, he gets up and he's talking and he goes, and by the way, everyone, I just want to say, Jonathan, that was so funny when you said, fuck me. (laughs) I'm like, actually, no, it wasn't. And like, I mean, think about the double standard. I would have been put in handcuffs if it was the other way around, you know, some young woman's up there talking and all of a sudden she goes, oh, fuck me. I made a mistake. (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey, you know, I thought that was very funny. You want to get fucked, huh? I thought it was so funny when you said, fuck me. <laughs> like if, you know, it's a double standard. It's like, why are you creeping around with this horse shit? So anyway, week later, I returned to the meeting. I'm sitting in a chair. And all of a sudden, I feel this hot breath. This hot breath and... I think he brushed by my head. I felt like his whiskers and this hot breath like on the back of my head and by my earlobe. Just kind of come, come rustling up, snuck up on me, gave me old bums rush. No pun intended. Gave me the old bums rush, snuck up on me, right? I was sitting in a chair. He sticks his fucking face right up next to mine and goes, <laughs> Jonathan, fuck me. I <laughs> was so funny. Whispering shit in my ear, right? I'm like, <laughs> I, I lurch back, right? I'm like, ah! Right? And I got up and I left the meeting. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's... That's the common ground that the homosexual and the heterosexual man have. It's just like that boundary they often c- cross. And... It's all based in lust, and a lot of it too is it's based in this normalcy that we try to portray. The normalcy that, you know, it's cool to, like, you know, in all these coming-of-age comedies or all these, like, you know, rock star, hip-hop mentality where it's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll when it's really like, you know, there's more than meets the eye. And it's unacceptable to cross these boundaries and just be a pig and a heathen, really. And then the acceptability of, oh, it's Pride Month. We're celebrating gay pride. What does that even mean? You're celebrating gay sex. How do you, how do you, look, a, how do you look a child or another adult in the face and go, happy pride? Happy what? Gay sex? 
No, it's the affirmation of this lifestyle. The affirmation of your sexual behavior that nobody should really give a fuck about? Why would I be interested in your sexual behaviors? I understand gay rights. Everybody has the right to live how they want to live. If that's your alternative lifestyle, cool. But why should it be celebrated and treated as normal when it's anything but? It's a behavior. It's a sexual behavior. Nothing more, nothing less. So anyway, um, I remember um, there was this one... Uh, he was a gay man, very regal and old. <laughs> he was like in his 70s and he was, Hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm a gay man. And I used to be an actor in the theater. And he'd get up there and orate. And he was a very well-spoken older gay man and it took him a while to realize that coming up as a gay man in the uh, 50s it wasn't exactly easy and da -da -da. I found myself in many doohickeys and uh, situations and, da -da -da. and he, you know he was a kind of a charmer you know he could really rope you in with the charm he was you know sort of like I said very regal I think he used to wear ascots if I recall I don't really know but he was very charming to an extent. and um, But I remember one time, and this, this is all based around my belief that we live in a world of cynicism, motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. It's a cynical world. Cynicism, motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. Who cares about gay rights, gay lords? Who cares about Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter activists. Who cares about feminism? Feminists. You see the trend? Nobody really cares. Everybody's self-interested. And if somebody tells you that they love you and care about you, you can be pretty much guaranteed they're lying in order to get money or power. Isn't the best thing that we can hope to do is mind our own fucking business? Live and let live? Anyway... I'm, I'm sitting at this, uh, it was a meeting. It was actually, um, the meeting had ended, this uh, recovery meeting. We went out for coffee. Everybody's sitting on this patio, drinking coffee. In walks that gay older thespian that I was talking about, right? And he comes storming in. I can't believe what just happened. I just came back from a anti-pride. I was at the pride march. And those bombastic, buffoon, Black Lives Matter activists came in and tried to disrupt our gay march. How dare they? How dare they? Those radical, despicable, buffoonery, Black Lives Matter activists. How dare they? And he was just chewing into it. Going off about it. Flipping his fucking wig. Obviously trying to speak indirectly to me. 
because he like shuffled up right next to me and was just pumptastic and just going off about it, right? And my whole thing is, like I said, I mean, it ain't nothing particular. It's not like he offended me. I'm not even into Black Lives Matter and all that horse shit. You know, I'm, I just kind of do for myself, mind my own fucking business. So it wasn't so much the black thing. It was the fact that I knew he was angry at black people. I knew he was projecting at me. And I was just, I don't like it when people project at me and talk at me. And if I don't have to be somewhere, I don't be there. So he's blah, 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 going off, right? And I was, I was sitting next to this person. I was talking to him. Like, I got up. I'm like, I can't listen to this shit. I got to go. And, you know, I was saying bye to everybody, right? And then that fucking thespian, fellow thespian, really, he goes, um, bye, Jonathan. Gives me this fucking evil smile. <laughs> We're all self-motivated, self-interested. And, you know, I, I he, he's like a 60, 70-year-old man swept up in his sexuality. And was like, yo, you're like 40 years past fuckable. And, well, actually, I don't know. Depending on the gay culture, they, they fuck until the cows come home. But, like... He's like, I don't know. It's like, like, dude, like you're so swept up in your sexuality that you don't realize, from my opinion, it's all ego. And you're swept up in your lusts and your desires and you're turned away from God and you don't have any common sense in utility. All this time and effort and energy and emotion you put into your sexuality or your race or your gender politics, all this fucking... time and energy people put into it when it's like just do the good normal thing to get good normal results right hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com and um, you know that's what comes to mind the 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 parallel in the gay community and the straight community, that desperation and that assumption that the world's our oyster and everybody should want us. What What do you mean you don't find me sexual desirable? What do you mean you don't find me sexually desirable? It's me. Who wouldn't want to fuck this? You know, that this, this, depravity and assumptions and self-absorption and ego that's in this world, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual, casual sex. There's definitely that parallel. That's what kind of comes to mind to me in this time of Pride Month. And, um, you know, I really don't know. I really don't know. I guess where I'm sitting today, it's not for me to, it's not that I have such a emphasis on my beliefs. It's just that I'm not really for having beliefs shoved down my throat. You know what I mean? I think that we live in a cynical world motivated by self-interest 
And the best that we can do is seek our own way and focus on our own business and call it how it is. You know, it's a disservice to the youth to tell them that, you know, to be a man or to be a real woman, you, you must go out and get laid. You must have a girlfriend. You must have a boyfriend. You must be sexually promiscuous. That's a disservice. It's a disservice to our youth to tell them, oh, yeah, it's, it's normal to be gay, queer, lesbian, bisexual. It's normal to be just wrapped up with your sexuality when you don't know a damn thing about nothing. You know, why don't you just do your homework? You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a disservice to, to, to live in our society where we're so ruled by these sexual prowess and sexual lusts and these base sexual needs, whether it be homosexual or heterosexual. When it's like, no, it's all ego, it's all self-serving, and it's based upon nothing. I wish I was told that as a youth. Hey, you know... Sex is about, you know, man and wife and utility of life. And, you know, there's a lot of cost that comes with chasing after lustful sex. And there's a lot of damage that can be done in a person's life, heterosexual or homosexual. Yeah. So hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What are your thoughts and opinions? Hallelujah. Till next time, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty. On this magnificent June 18th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Happy Pride Month to y'all. Be safe, be healthy, be happy. And, you know... Mind your own fucking business. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, if you're digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it, you love it, you realize it. Alrighty? Alrighty?